Hello there. This is the Frogs War Podcast. I'm Jamie Plunkett. I'm Melissa Treeblosser. And we are here after a TCU win, 33-31 to on the road in Lubbock against Texas Tech. To get to 5-5 five and five on the season, the Frogs are now one win away from bowl eligibility with two games left on the schedule, including a Saturday evening game in Norman this weekend. Melissa... Did you expect TCU to win on Saturday, and how did that game play out in your mind? Are we allowed to um, to reverse history? Because I think most people remember me not feeling really confident about this game. Um, and early on, I looked like an idiot, and I was really, really happy about that because there's nothing I like more than being wrong about TCU playing poorly. Um, but in the second half, I feel like my worst fears were – somewhat can can uh confirm there when the frogs did everything in their power to try to give the game back to texas tech because we all know that these two teams are contractually obligated to do really terrible things against each other so um i i thought that there were so many positive things to take away from that first quarter on both sides of the ball and then we kind of reverted to the mean over the next three quarters um but ultimately what i take from this is it's a win and it is a an, an another sign of a young team starting to grow up and do th- some things well. Um, I wrote in my my awards that nine freshmen, sophomores, redshirt freshmen started that game on Saturday uh, between the two sides of the ball, and that is kind of uh, a pretty pretty telling stat of this season. As we we thought that this was a pretty loaded deep team, but the more and more we look around as the season drags on, the more we see that there are a lot of new faces and young guys that, that are making an impact, which bodes well for the future. It absolutely does, you know, and I think, you know, Patterson has said that over and over again this year, that this is a young squad. And you look at guys like Ennis Gaines and Jeff Gladney and Ross Blacklock, who's been around, <laughs> and Anthony McKinney, who's a senior starting at left tackle. And there is, you know, both running backs that have, have played significantly in Anderson and Alana Lua. And yeah, this team does have senior leadership and a bunch of veterans on it, but the bulk of this team is young. And you're right, that's shown up a lot this year, and it showed up again on Saturday against Texas Tech. For me, there were three kind of big plays that really stood out. Hold, hold um, on, I, I, have to, I have to give you some good news, bad news here. Uh-oh. I'm just going to say good news, bad news. Anthony McKinney is, oh no, he is a senior. God, I thought he was a junior. Okay, I just double-checked that. Whew, I did not know how to feel about that scenario. No, no, no. He's, but, a, okay. he's a senior. He's a senior, yeah. Okay. Um, Yeah, for sure, senior. He's been around for a million years. Yeah, I just double-checked, yeah. Um, But there were three kind of big key moments to me. The first is uh, the 55-yard touchdown pass from Duggan to Jalen Rager that everyone's been longing for all year long was just let's take more shots deep to Rager. He's dropped a couple this season, but this pass, it was a deep post. Uh, Duggan stepped right up into the pocket, delivered a perfect ball. Rager reached out, caught it, and just cruised into the end zone. Um, That was a signal of a couple different things for me. First, Duggan was getting a little bit of pressure on the play from Tech's defensive line. He was calm and collected. He stepped up in the pocket. He delivered the ball on time in the perfect spot to his receiver who had gotten open. Uh, It showed that Rager, uh, even though he's had a down year from everybody's expectations, still has big playability. Uh, and hopefully we can see that in the last two games of the year to the point where we get to see it a third time in a bowl game um, before he most likely leaves for the NFL. Um, but realistically, it was a perfect pass from Duggan, and it was just a sign, I think, of 
not a sign, but just kind of a glimpse of how incredible this kid is going to be in the seasons moving forward. Um, the second key moment was Gladney's targeting call. Uh, I've watched it a couple of, couple of times. It was targeting. I don't understand where people are trying to argue that he hit this guy in the chest. It was as clean, in my opinion, as a, a targeting call can be. Um, I don't know how you know or how you feel about that, Melissa, but to me it was clearly targeting. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it was definitely a targeting call they had to make. I don't think it was a dirty hit. Um, I know the people up in our mentions um, telling us we need to be better Christians with the way we play football um, would disagree with that. But, sure. but yeah, I, I was that was a pretty cut and dry call even for Big 12 officials. I'm just glad that they're telling us that. Yeah. You know, we well, we, we, you know we do. We are well, well connected to CC football programs. So, so. connected. We, we do teach tackling. It's part of our responsibilities with Frogs of War. So. It's true. We are the most connected. Uh, but it's a big play not only because it kicked him out for the second half of that game and they took advantage of TCU's secondary after Gladney left and a little bit before he left. Um, but he's also out for the first half against Oklahoma. And that's not a problem at all. <laughs> that's uh, – maybe significant considering who Oklahoma has on offense. Uh, if CD lamb doesn't play, that makes a big difference, but we'll get to that uh, a little bit later on in this podcast. Um, sorry, I'm a little distracted right now, just completely to be honest with you, because there's a group text happening that is arguing about whether or not an, a team has made the college football playoff at this point that should not have made it. And uh, I responded with Florida State didn't deserve to be in in 2014. Um, and there's a guy who has a PhD from Florida State in this text thread. And anywho, um, <coughs> that's going as expected. <clears throat> yeah, they didn't yeah. deserve to get in, even if they did beat three ranked teams that year. Um, yeah, they were trash. They proved it. The when good thing is, the is they yeah playoff. they proved it themselves. They yeah. they told on themselves. Anywho. Moving back to the present, because I don't want to talk about 2014 today. Uh, the third key moment in this game for me was the final possession for Texas Tech, where Vernon Scott embattled, so frequently hurt safety for TCU, came up and made a huge play, forcing um, Mannix to fumble the ball, uh, and the Frogs recovered and were able to, to f finish off the game and run out, run out the clock. Um, such a huge, huge play from a, a senior leader on this squad, and it was really good to see from Vernon make that play. Yeah, and, and the thing I loved about that, too, is that he talked about on the sidelines those last two drives where, where Patterson, I think, kind of felt the, the temperature in the room and, and told his guys, you know, we're going to have to make a play because mm -hmm. this, this game is going to just keep, you know, trading trading points at this point. And um, they stepped up to a challenge, and, and something they've been really bad at this year is not just forcing fumbles but recovering them, too. And so – uh, to see Scott, who who is a senior leader, who's, who's played great when he's been able to be on the field, um, poke it out, and then Trayvon, Trayvon Merrick, who has been just exceptional in his sophomore season, scoop it up. Um, that, that's kind of – that's how you want to see a Gary Patterson defense that struggled throughout the final three quarters of that game step up in a big moment and make a, make a game-saving play. Well, it, and you mentioned it too. They were going to have to do that. They were going to have to get a stop, not only because uh, – TCU was only leading by two points, but also because it felt like right after Jonathan Song kicked that field goal with about four and a half minutes left for TCU to take the lead, um, they just stopped playing offense. Yeah. They had two more possessions after they go up by two points, 
and they ran the ball seven times uh, to just one pass attempt. One pass attempt. Not even just a completion. One pass attempt in two possessions up two points <coughs> with like five minutes left in the football game. Um, not, you know, I, I just don't understand what the logic is. I mean, I do understand you're trying to run the clock out, but take a chance, right? You're only up two points. A stop and a yeah. punt with the way that Tech has been had been just shredding the secondary in the second half of that game. Like I, I don't understand why play calling shifts at a certain point in a football game, and it happens not just in TCU games, but in football games at every level across the country, where you start going so conservative that it feels like you're playing not to lose rather than you're playing to get to like finish this team off and get a win. You know, we saw it when the Cowboys were up eight against Detroit on Sunday. They had the ball with a couple of minutes, like a minute and a half left, and they had a chance to maybe just give it to Zeke three times, punt, and let their defense – either Zeke would get the first down or they'd have to punt and, and get one more defensive stop. But what did they do? They ran play action. They threw it to a tight end who was wide open, and he got a first down, and that effectively ended the game because Detroit was out of timeouts. I'm not asking for another deep bomb to Rager. I'm saying you've got Pro Wells and Artavius Lynn who have shown that they're very proficient at catching the football this year. Maybe get creative and get it to them five or six yards downfield. Just keep the defense guessing a little bit, and you can still kill more clock. I don't know. That's just me, but it drives me nuts when I see a football team just sit on a ball late rather than going for the kill shot. Yeah, and and it's, it's a tough spot with this offense because you do have a freshman quarterback playing on the road and in an unforgiving environment, and you do have a senior running back that you should be able to trust to run out the clock in those scenarios, and so – had TCU been able to effectively do that throughout the season, I probably would find it less offensive. And it was nice to see Darius Anderson pick up a couple first downs, um, especially on that, that final drive, just to kind of salt the thing away. But I, I think what we've been asking for all season is for this offense to take more chances. And that is a, a perfect scenario, like you said, not to, to try to hit a bomb, but to at the very least try and connect um, on a play action or something like that. When you know that they're geared up to stop the run, just, just do a play action, do something, get tight ends involved even a little screen pass or swing pass to, to Jet, who's a really good catcher of the football too, and uh, just salt the game away without having to ask your freshman quarterback or your you know senior running back or your offensive line to do it for you. Yeah, especially when you're, often, you know, you're on your fourth offensive tackle with Andrew, yeah. true freshman Andrew Coker in the game, and you know run blocking hadn't been there all day. Did they yeah. get a couple first downs? Yes. So can you – look at this and say well it was a moot point because it was successful sure but the the point stands i think that in this in, a, in that situation i don't know that it's the best idea to just go with something that hasn't been successful to that point because it's you know the by the book thing to do sure well and that's what we've been saying all season is that so much of this tcu offense feels kind of vanilla by the book we want to see them take some more chances and, and have a little more creativity and do some of the things that have been successful in the past. And that was a perfect scenario to do it at a pretty low risk opportunity. Um, and, and show that, like you said, that they're playing to win, not playing, not to lose. And I think that's the frustration of a lot of people is in a situation where your season feels all but lost to a degree and you have a chance to secure a big win on the road, like lay it all out there go for broke and, and trust your guys to make plays. Absolutely. Absolutely. But, you know, TCU got the win, so it's not as 
frustrating as it could have been. Um, I yeah, think if we had was, found a way to lose that game, that that would have been a that would have probably stomach. been what we let off with. You know, frankly. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, a couple other thoughts that I had just as we kind of go through um, this recap is the defensive line for the second week in a row really did get pretty good pressure on an opposing quarterback. Um, O'Shawn Mathis was around the ball a lot. Blacklock was around the ball a lot. Colt Ellison was around the ball a lot. Uh, they didn't get home enough. You know, Duffy was able to snap off a couple of big runs. He was able to escape pressure and make some big throws downfield for um, big gains and for a one one incredible touchdown for Texas Tech. Um, but I, it's a it's a nice sight to see this defensive line really starting to put pressure on opposing quarterbacks. Yeah, the thing that's frustrating is they only seem to do it against guys that can really run. And so when they don't get home, they end up giving up these huge gains to, to running quarterbacks um, because there's just they go after them at the wrong time. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I think that you're seeing, as Gary Patterson would say, a, a young line grow up. Um, O'Shawn Mathis has definitely looked closer to what we expected out of him uh, coming into this season. And Cole Ellison has been just a revelation. I know it's super frustrating that he's not redshirting and that in a perfect world he would be. But at the same token, um, what I do love about it, he's a kid that kind of came on later in the season and has been impossible to take off the field. And you'd love to get that extra year out of him. But at the same token, um, he's a really, really good player that has a chance to be a really special pass rusher for the Horned Frogs going forward. Yeah, and if it, yeah, it seems like it's finally clicked. Patterson said as much after the Baylor game. So that's a, a very good sight for TCU fans to see. Um, and the last thing is, is all of these injuries and youth in the secondary are really starting to show up. You know, you've got yeah. Ennis Gaines, who's out for the season with an injury. You've got LeKendrick Van Zant, who started the year at linebacker and has moved to safety, and now he's banked up and probably isn't coming back this season. Uh, Jeff Gladney has missed time with injuries, obvi- or not in- injuries, uh, but he's going to miss the first half of the Oklahoma game because of uh, the targeting call. Julius Lewis just doesn't look like himself. Um, Vernon Scott has been banged up a little bit this year. He's missed some time. It's really on Trevon Morig, who's a sophomore, Ardarius Washington, who's a redshirt freshman. You've got Keon Stewart, who's out there as a true freshman. You've got um, Hodges Tomlinson, LT's nephew, who's a true freshman, as key players in the secondary right now. Um, and, you know, it's hard, to, it's hard to pick up a Gary Patterson defense. They've played incredibly well at moments, but they've also given up some really big plays. And it's I think it's just youth and inexperience that's starting to show a little bit. Yeah, and, and especially corner. Um, when you have a defensive line that isn't getting home, isn't getting sacks, um, is getting pressure but not the kind of pressure that forces more errant throws, you're asking these corners to cover on an island a lot. Um, and that's where we see these busts and these big plays that are happening kind of week after week. And uh, when you look at facing Oklahoma and Norman under the lights, like that's definitely a horrifying thought for TCU fans. Uh, a bunch of young kids – still trying to figure it out that are going to have to do a lot of this on their own without much of the threat of a pass rush and then facing a, a you know an Oklahoma offensive line that's pretty experienced I think so uh, it makes things interesting going going into a, a critical game on the road for TCU it really does it really does um, the good thing is is that they also get to host West Virginia after Thanksgiving and maybe that's where the the sixth win can can come from uh, do you have any other thoughts, observations from this tech game before we move on to other things? Yeah, I mean, I can't believe we've gotten this far and we haven't talked about Tay Barber. Oh, um, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I think that we saw last year, we heard Tay Barber coming in. Gary Patterson talked about him the way he very rarely talks about a freshman, um, his, how hard he works, his love for the game. 
the kind of kid he is, the kind of person he is. And uh, we saw flashes of his ability on the football field last year, but he's really developing into to kind of a, a one a one A or a one B to Jalen Rager. And frankly, you know, he's been more productive than Rager when he's been on the field, just just strictly because of uh, how hard it's been to get uh, Jalen the ball. So um, he's a he's a special talent. He's speedy. He's not really tall, but he's so strong that he makes up for it. He's got a good vertical. So um, if Rager does indeed go to the NFL, like we all expect, the thought of uh, putting Tay Barber alongside, you know, guys like Tavalence Hunt and John Stevens Jr., who both also played really well, Darius Davis had a huge third down grab. Um, I, I think that, that you're starting to see, you know, you, you talk about Cole Ellison getting it, you're starting to see it click for the wide receivers as well at this point in the season and their chemistry with Max is so is getting so so much better. So, um, a lot of positive stuff going forward if that the rest of the offense can kinda of get up to speed too. I, I think that, that you're seeing some guys make plays. Absolutely. And gosh, that that catch, that deep ball where he just twisted. Mm. Oh my goodness, what a hell he's, of a he's catch. He's special. Yeah, he is special athletically in the air. Like I'm he really just is. So glad he's healthy. Mm-hmm. So glad he's healthy. I wonder what would happen if he was completely healthy for the SMU game. Mm. Oh, it's a difference maker. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Um, Melissa, it's, let's go ahead and take a break. It's a little early, but let's take a break um, and move beyond Texas Tech and get into uh, our preview of the game coming up on Saturday. All right. We are back, and it's time to talk about Oklahoma. Melissa, they escaped – Waco on Saturday night last wow. weekend with a 34 to 31 win over Baylor ending the Bears undefeated run you hate to see it but it only gets hate better when you consider the fact that Baylor was leading 28 to 3 at one point 31 to 10 at halftime and then in the second half Oklahoma rattled off 24 unanswered points, kept Baylor off the scoreboard for the third and fourth quarters, and comes away with a win. What were your thoughts on that game Saturday night? So, obviously out of curiosity, I watched the beginning of it, and as Baylor had all of the momentum and made their uh, really impressive run to start things off, I got frustrated as a TCU fan would and was like, I can't watch this anymore. And so I turned it off. And I just want to say you're welcome, TCU fans, because the minute I turned it off, Oklahoma turned it around, and I take most of the credit for that loss. And um, I, I hesitate to say that with all my new uh, Baylor friends that I made um, after our game with them. So, uh, but yeah, I mean, you you want you want a great game like that. It's good for the conference. I mean, really for the Big Twelve, you kind of needed Baylor to win and, and potentially win out to to have a, a great shot at a playoff spot, which we'll get to later too tonight. But. Um, Man, like I sat through that game in 2014 and saw TCU blow a big lead and in a big moment like that, and it was kind of awesome to see payback come, uh, you know, five years later with more playoff impl- implications on the line and uh, just to, to see the surrender Cobras throughout McLean Stadium was a little cathartic for me, I'm not going to lie, but uh, what a great ball game. Um, great offense by Baylor in the first half, great defense or, or just – you know, offensive ineptitude um, in, in the second half. And, and Jalen Hurts really struggled, um, did not play his best football, had a lot of ball security issues. But, you know, he's kind of got that intangible, that it factor that people talk about and willed his team back uh, 
from the dead and, and got him a win and, and just a, what was a really fun college football game in prime time. It was a very fun game. I was watching that. Uh, we had a Friendsgiving, Skylar and I did, that we were at, and it was an eclectic group of people as far as universities that they've graduated from. And so watching that game in a context where I wasn't with all TCU fans or with people who were you know, adamantly opposed to Baylor winning was really interesting. Um, but it was very fun as a community to watch Baylor slowly just watch that lead slip away. Uh, it, when and it's not your team, it's helpless. nothing better. Yeah, you know, it's fun. nothing better. It's fun to watch. Doesn't matter who watch the opponent is. Away. Yeah, you know, a lot of comparisons being drawn to Illinois coming back. That I can't remember who they beat, but they were down twenty-eight to three earlier this year, and they came back and won. Um, I think oh, that was the Wisconsin game, right? And then yeah, it was Wisconsin. Uh, yeah, you know, obviously the Super Bowl a couple years ago when Atlanta blew a twenty-eight to three lead. Just all of the celebration um, around the suffering of a singular fan base. It always gets everybody up in a tizzy. The thing that was interesting about those those two games that you mentioned, though, is that was the underdog coming back. True. Oklahoma hasn't been an underdog in forever. And it's so it was true. weird to see people kind of, because of the way that things played out, to see them rooting for the powerhouse in that scenario where normally you'd be, you know, just cheering with all your might for the underdog. That's true. It's true. Um, but Baylor's just not very likable. Yeah, and Matt Rule is – Part of it. Very likable, but Baylor sure. is, is still, to some degree, not very likable. Which I wish is fine. Matt that makes the best, it more fun. And I hope the best Somewhere for else. him yeah. doesn't include being at Baylor for much longer. Because mm-hmm. he is, yeah, anywhere else. seems to be genuinely a good human. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing that I've noticed going into this game is on offense. No, I guess there are two big questions. First of all, is C.D. Lamb going to play? Because he didn't play against Baylor. That's part of what I think made Oklahoma's comeback so incredible mm-hmm. was that they didn't have their arguably their best offensive weapon. Um, and second of all, this is the not the first game this year where Jalen Hurts' ball security has been suspect at best. He put the ball on the ground a couple of different times. He did not make the best decisions always throwing the football, and Baylor probably, they hold on to a couple of those. They probably end up with three or four interceptions on Saturday night. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, What have you seen from Oklahoma's offense that, one, gives you hope for TCU, but also strikes fear, and then on the other side of that coin, what really strikes fear into you about this OU offense? (coughs) Well, I mean, I think that that when you look at C.D. Lamb um, and the impact that he has, uh, not just the best wide receiver at Oklahoma, but, but probably one of the top wide receivers in the country. And just what he can do with his speed and his size um, and his route running ability, uh, he, he's an absolute uh, just weapon um, for Oklahoma. And he's got such great chemistry with, with Jalen Hurts, too, in year one, which is pretty impressive. Um, and so you worry about that passing attack, obviously. Even without him, they sell Charleston Rambo. Um, they always roll out some ridiculous tight end that has 17 catches for you know 230 yards against TCU. Um, but but what I really also think is the underrated aspect of the game is is their running game and and with what Hurts can do with his feet when he is holding onto the ball, he's such a dangerous runner because he's a guy that that does kind of the the Russell Wilson the the elite quarterback thing the Aaron Rodgers of being able to slide up and down the pocket. To, to extend plays, keep your eyes downfield, and then to know the exact right moment to take off and run. 
and he's not a running quarterback. I think that, that he was sold a little bit as that um, at times in his career at Alabama, and he's not the most accurate passer, but he's a really good decision maker in general, though we did see that he's vulnerable to, to forcing some things and making some bad decisions um, under pressure like he did Saturday night. So um, the Frogs have some hope against that defense um, for sure. Like it's not a finished product whatsoever, but what it's really going to come down to is can they contain the Sooners enough to keep this in a manageable score? Uh, if they have to score 45 to win it on the road, it's not going to happen. If they can keep OU, you know, in the, the upper 20 range, then then maybe they can force a couple turnovers, get a get a, a defensive score, or a, a kick return or something, and, and have a chance to come out on top. Because I think it's going to need it's going to take something like that to for the Horn Frogs to find a way to win. Yeah, it's it's going to have to be weird. To your note, though, about Hertz's accuracy, he's completing 70% of his passes against Big 12 competition this year, and at home, okay, Whoops. he's and at home he's completing 78.7% of his passes this season, for almost 1,600 yards, 15 touchdowns to only two interceptions. So I don't, maybe maybe there's a, and because I've heard that not just from you, I, and I might have even said it a couple of times. To, to folks but I think his accuracy is underrated as a passer um, maybe it's the Lincoln Riley effect it's his highest completion percentage of his career at 73% overall um, but in 2018 in a limited role he completed 72.9% of his passes prior to that 2016 and 17 he was never better than 63% so something has changed as he's matured and, and grown up and become more comfortable at the collegiate level um, no, it's just because Big 12 doesn't play defense, Jamie. Come on. Oh, he's, okay. he's getting wide open wide receivers. His totally guys forgot. running free. Totally forgot yeah. about that. Totally forgot about that. You're right. That's what it is. <coughs> That's what it is. But, you know, he, guys are expected to improve over the course of their college career, and it looks like it from a completion percentage standpoint he's done that. He's definitely done that. Yeah. It, it's going to be interesting to see – you know, there's nothing more enjoyable than watching a couple of guys like Gary Patterson and Lincoln Riley match wits. Um, the great, ridiculous, creative, offensive mind of, of Lincoln Riley and the wily old veteran Gary Patterson on the defensive side. Um, he's He has not gotten the better of Lincoln. Um, they played a couple of weirdly close games, but really the, the young young buck has kind of dominated this series when it comes to whose side of the ball is, is better. And so... Uh, I have a feeling Patterson is going to pull out all the stops on the defensive side, but th- this one should be intriguing. Hopefully TCU can can live up to the billing in that regard and, and make it interesting because it's going to have to get weird for the Frogs to have any shot whatsoever. It's going to have to get weird. Yeah, it is. And, you know, defensively for OU too, um, they've been in a similar situation to TCU this year and at some points they've looked like world beaters. And at other points, they've given up points in bulk, basically. Mm-hmm. And I mean, we saw that all kind of encapsulated on Saturday night against Baylor, where they give up 31 points in the first half, and then they come out and they shut Baylor out in the second half. Um, that's not just halftime adjustments that will do that for a team. That's um, talent finally showing out a little bit sure. when it had disappeared. And you, s- you saw that in the TCU Tech game, where for the first quarter, first you know 20 minutes of the football game, it didn't look like Tech was ever going to score. And then the floodgates kind of broke open um, for a moment there before TCU finally ratcheted things back up again on the final Tech drive. So 
it'll be interesting which o- OU defense shows up at the start of the game. If it's the one that gives up some points um, and Rager can maybe break free, free for a big touchdown, maybe that shifts momentum just enough for TCU to hang around. Like you said, though, something crazy is going to have to happen. TCU is a 19-point underdog for a reason going into this game. Um, granted, OU is just, I think, 1-5 in five in their last game, last six games against the spread, but um, also, 19 it's going to be crazy. close. Yeah. 19 is crazy, right? Like, Look, DCU has not been good this season, but they have not been embarrassing. And this is not the elite, world-beating type Oklahoma teams we've seen out of the last couple of years. Um, Jalen Hurts has been really good, like you said, he's he's been super accurate. Um, but this this things aren't flowing quite as well for this team the way that they did the last couple of years, last really three four years, and so. Um, that number just seems exceedingly high to me. Um, I, I would not bet on a TCU football team this year whatsoever, like in no way, shape, or form would I recommend that. Mm-hmm. Um, but, man, like that line feels awfully tempting. It just seems so insanely high for – I mean, there's only been really one blowout in this series recently. Like they tend to be oddly close games even – even when the talent disparity is is up there, so I am very interested. I, I'm glad too. Like if you're a TCU fan, be ecstatic that this is a 19 point line because that team is going to come out pissed, and that's where you want a TCU and a Gary Patterson led team. Absolutely, and you know you look at TCU's five losses this year. The one that stands out is the loss at Iowa State, where they lost 49 to 24. You know that's a, that was just a beating. They lost by 25 points. Other than that, they lost by three points to SMU. They lost by a touchdown to Kansas State. They lost by a touchdown to Oklahoma State. And they lost by six points to Baylor. So it's not like they've just been getting whipped. No. Um, and you did mention, too, you know, the close games that TCU and Oklahoma have played. Um, not in 2018 and not in 2017 in the Big 12 championship. We won't look at those two scores. No, yeah. Because those bad. didn't really happen in real life. Not in 2017. No. Okay, so here's the last time it was close and Oklahoma won. 2016, it was 52-46 to 46, OU won. That was Bob Stoops still as the mm-hmm. head coach. Uh, 2013, it was 39 – sorry, 2015, it was 30-29 to 29 OU. That was the year that Boykin got hurt and didn't play. Yeah, Bram um, and the missed two-point conversion off of yes. the fingertips. In 2013, t- TCU lost 20-17. to 17. In 2012, TCU lost 20 20- four to 17 but the last three years i mean since lincoln riley has been head coach they've frankly just kicked tcu's ass 2017 38 to 20 2017 in the big 12 championship 41 to 17 and then last year 52 to 27 yeah hmm. so i mean maybe that My optimism maybe that, is waning maybe that history there i don't i don't know and i've seen a lot of stuff too like apparently G- gary was super like peppy at the press conference today um, and that's giving people hope, and that's good. I mean, hope is a good thing, um, but maybe TCU's a 19-point dog for a reason. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think I would be feeling confident, but I, I would also say that I would not at all be surprised if the Frogs covered. I would be fairly shocked if they won. But I would be very shocked if they, they won. I also wouldn't be terribly surprised if they covered i mean you're right it is a very large spread but recent history suggests that maybe the line is kind of closer to where it needs to be than tcu fans would like to admit 
Yeah, I mean, it, it makes for an interesting decision for people yeah. debating going up there, especially people who have 9 a.m. flights the next morning, like myself. Yikes. Because uh, you, you have a chance to see something really insane and crazy happen or TCU to just get just absolutely rolled. And, and that's, you know, it's a it's 50-50 proposition, but it's it really, really probably is. a 90-10 proposition, mm-hmm. proposition, for being honest. But here's the thing about that. Here's the thing about being 19-point underdogs – when nobody's expecting you to play it even close, more or less win, is you can go up to Norman on Saturday night and just let it all hang out. Like, the offense, frankly, just air it out. Just let it all go. Cumbie, pull out your most creative plays. Let Max sling it around 50 times. You know, I don't know. Just call 15 triple option plays. I don't know. Just do – don't give a single F. Go out there. Yeah, I wish people could see see the run sheet, but right? as I, a PD, I put, it's a family yes. show. Yeah, it is a family show, so we can't say what I put in the run sheet. But just let it all hang out. Don't don't yeah, be you know, just be fearless. And then on defense, play with reckless abandon. You literally have nothing to lose. So go out there. Take the, none of the pressure is on you. Go out yeah. there and just do your thing. You're supposed to lose, so go play like the team in 2005 that had no expectation outside of their own locker room and just decided. Hey, we're gonna find a way to make this happen, and you know, find a way to make it happen. And they shut down Adrian Peterson in the process. Yeah. Hey, do you remember earlier this year when someone told us before the Purdue game that Rondell Moore was the best receiver that TC was ever gonna face because yeah. he, like Adrian Peterson, was one of three people who had ever been uh, an AP All American as a freshman. Yeah. I thought about that the other day. I wonder what that guided to it now. <coughs> Probably probably not tweeting much anymore probably not <laughs> yeah um all right that's i think we'll be decent for our oklahoma preview any other thoughts before we move on we're gonna take another break really quick and then talk about men's basketball if you don't have yeah anything. i mean I, I think i think my last thing i'll say is that um you like you know like we've said that this is not the game that makes a wreck tcu season um it, it's critical that they play well um a, a loss wouldn't be devastating to the psyche of anybody but the fan base, which is already a little de- uh, a little uh, soft right now as it, as it's as it has been. But yeah, I, I just think, like you said, I, I want to see the offense let it loose. That's really all I care about on Saturday. I want to see them go out there and have some fun and run some trick plays and do some crazy things and uh, see. I want to see the best of what I want. Comby to to coach for his job Saturday in Norman and to show people what he's capable of and how creative he can be. And if we see that, I'll be happy. I'll be happy too. I, you know, low expectations, high hopes. Yep. I think that's the that, that's the move for Saturday, for sure. All right, let's Agreed. take a break. Let's take a break, and then we'll come back and we'll talk about a three and OTCU basketball team before we talk about the latest college football rankings and make our Big Twelve predictions. All right, we are back, and Melissa, TCU men's basketball is three and O. It's not because they've played world beaters, or it's not because they've played like absolutely awful teams, but they haven't played world beaters. Um, it's got a lot of questions, but after these first three games, what's your take on TCU basketball this year? They are fun, but I don't know if they're very good. Yeah, but they are fun. Um, I, I think that there's a lot of potential here. I think, um, you know, we, we've seen some growth out of some returning guys. It's been really promising. And I, I know we'll talk about RJ in that regard and Kevin. But um, 
there's a lot of young pieces that that look like they're going to be really good players. They play with a lot of energy. Um, they play with a lot of a lot of team chemistry. Pass the ball a little bit better than we've seen out of the last couple of years at TCU, and and there's some guys to be really really excited about. Um, but they have a lot of holes and they have a lot of things to address. And I don't know that they're going to be things that are fixable in season. Um, and, and we kind of talked about this last night. Is my biggest frustration right now is the fact that this is a team that has a chance to grow into something really really good. But they're probably going to see the fruits of it once Desmond Bain graduates, and and that is really unfortunate timing to have a, a guy as good as he is, and 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 I think the rest of his team isn't going to be quite ready to maximize his his ability in his senior season. Yeah, I think that's that's a very disappointing thing, but I think you're right um, because this team is so incredibly young. They've got three seniors, Desmond Bain. And then two transfers in Jair Greer and Edric Dennis. And then the only junior on the team is Owen Asheris, who is a walk-on. <laughs> Everyone else are sophomores on down. And that means that, um, <clears throat> first of all, that there's been some attrition, which is true. We've seen a couple guys transfer out of the program. Um, the, go- the good positive news is, like you said, though, there is a, tr- a tremendous amount of talent on this thing. Um at one point in the second half, in the midst of a close game against Air Force, there were three true freshmen on the court with Desmond Bain and Kevin Samuel. And that's not insignificant because it wasn't that TCU uh, was up by 30 or down by 30, and so they were just getting guys playing time. These were critical moments in the second half against a senior-laden uh, veteran team in Air Force that runs a very tough offense to figure out early in the season. And uh, Farabello and P.J. Fuller and Deontay Smith were out there on the court. And they were expected to perform at a level that would get TCU a win. They weren't victory cigars. So that was kind of cool to see. Um, But also, like you said, it's a sign that maybe this thing is a year away. And that's kind of sad for Desmond Bain. Yeah, I mean, it's it's really great to be in a position, and, and this is where maybe we, we have uh, undervalued Jamie Dixon a little bit even, is that TCU is recruiting the kinds of freshmen that can come in and contribute in big moments, and they acquitted themselves extraordinarily well last night. Um, yeah. Farabello, man, like, I, I don't, he's going to have some growing pains in Big 12 play. He, he talked last night about how much more physical the college game is, how much better uh, athletically it is than, mm-hmm. than playing internationally. Um, he's gonna get knocked around a little bit in Big 12 play, but dude, that kid uh, has great vision. He's unselfish, but he's not afraid to shoot. He's a good enough shooter to keep defenses honest. Um, he he knows how to um, how to kind of he he does that great little like mini penetration um, with his dribble where he he kind of digs and and pokes and prods yeah. um, uh, around kind of kind of almost like. I mean, he's not, he's not like Jason Kidd. He's not that good or something, but kind of in that way where he's always looking to make a play, but, it, but he knows that sometimes that play is going to be his to make. Um, and he's a good shooter. He's, a, he's got a really, really clean release. So I think he's going to be a great player. Um, and then Deontay Smith, Dixon last night told us that we still haven't seen the player that that kid is because he's just not fully healthy. He's coming back off of 10 days of being out with an, with an, uh, an injury, but that he was their best player in fall ball. Um, and, and then PJ Fuller is starting to show signs of why he was such a highly touted recruit as well. Like that kid is, is, has a chance to be really elite athletically and, 
uh, has a really nice high basketball IQ too. So these are these are kids that can play, um, that they can be contributors, that can probably contribute in Big Twelve play. But when conference play kicks up with how good this league is again, there are going to be some growing pains for them. And and uh, with you know I can I'm sure we'll talk about Dez too. Is that when he has a night like he did last night, they can get away with it against Air Force. They probably can't get away with it against Oklahoma State or Texas Tech or Kansas or even West Virginia. So that's going to be the issue that the Frogs have to find a way to address. Absolutely. I mean, you look at, and I think you named it very well there, the freshmen, especially on this team, are getting a chance to really grow up and learn something about the college game before they get into that gauntlet of Big 12 play. You look at Farabello, he's got 17 assists to just six turnovers in his first three games. That's incredible for a true freshman almost regardless of the competition, to step on the court and to know that this is a more athletic, very physical style of gameplay that he's not used to. And to not turn the ball over very significantly is is super impressive to me. Um, You nailed it. He's the facilitator for this thing. Um, But Dixon even mentioned it after the Air Force game that they're encouraging him to look for his own shot more because he does have such a clean shot. Uh, he's four of ten from three point range this year. If he stays at that forty percent from three this year, he will be um, an incredibly serviceable point guard as a true freshman. Um, just yeah. with that kind of percentage from three point range, and if he keeps somewhere around the same assist to turnover ratio, which is right at about three to one right now, uh, that's all you can really ask for. That's probably more than you can ask for from most true freshmen coming in and playing point guard in the Big Twelve. Um, but I think the person that I've been most impressed with to start the season is RJ Nembhard. He has yeah. been very <laughs> solid. Uh, he had 15 points on Monday night against Air Force with six rebounds and five assists and three steals. And he stepped up in a moment where, like you said, Desmond Bain was not shooting the ball well. He finished two for 10. He finished with just seven points. Um, and so Nembhard and Kevin Samuel had a great game too. We, we expect that and we have high expectations for Kevin Samuel. He's, he's meeting them. But for RJ... You know, to come in a, a game after setting a career high for points and following it up with one of his most complete games of his career so far, and it's an early, it's a young career, right? He's just a sophomore. But, you know, they get, they ran the offense through him late. He facilitated a couple of really good shots, including one drive and dish to Farabello in the corner, and Farabello hit a three. Um he finished a couple plays at the rim when he needed to. He distributed the ball to Kevin Samuel well when he needed to. He was a key facilitator in the last 10-ish minutes of the basketball game on Saturday or on Monday night, and that was huge. Uh, and I think that if he can be the third guy in this thing, you know, you've got Desmond Bain and Kevin Samuel who are pretty clearly one and two at this point, especially from a scoring standpoint. But if RJ Nembhard can be the number three guy and he can consistently get you like 12 to 16 points a game, TCU's going to be in a lot better shape than people expected them to be this year, I think. Yeah, and, and I'll tell you what I really love about RJ is uh, this is a kid who was a legit super-duper star in DFW, um, one of the best players in the region, you know, a, a guy that was putting up, you know, 20, 30 points a game at his high school um, and, and was just kind of a do-it-all guy. He was a star. And uh, he came to TCU, he redshirted his first year on campus, um, which not a lot of guys would do. Uh, last year, he played really inconsistently. And instead of, uh, you know, following kind of the rest of the horde out or, um, you know, being kind of negative, he just kept working. He kept getting back in the gym. He kept 
you know, finding weak, identifying weaknesses in his game and, and looking to correct them. And it's really, really paid off for him. Um, he has developed into a great player. Um, and, and he had the skill set to begin with, but, but he's the kind of guy that you're going to look at. It's going to be a fifth-year senior at some point, you know, leading a tournament team and, and probably being the, the guy they talk about in March Madness is lead, the unsung hero that, you know, leads TC to a big upset over somebody someday. Um, and, and it's all through hard work. And uh, I really appreciate that out of a young kid that, that didn't need to be that guy but, but was happy to do it. Um, he's he's what I also loved, and I, and I, I disagree. You know, our, our friend Jeremy runs 247. Um, he wrote about how Dez deferring to RJ down the stretch was, was a little bit of a negative for Desmond, that they need him to be the alpha dog in those moments and to take over. I look at it as a different way, um, and maybe this is just because I, I, I come from coaching girls basketball, not guys, where you very rarely have a super-duper star in a moment like that. And so I liked the fact that Des deferred to RJ because, A, to me it shows me that Desmond trusts Nemhard, um, that, that he sees him as, as a leader on the team as well, that he's a guy that, that he knows will make the right decisions in those moments. And it also showed me that uh, this team will ride the high hand and that it doesn't have to be the Desmond Bain show. And, you know, Dixon talks about that too, how he was the one in – he never panicked. That's what, what Dixon said, is that Des never panicked when he wasn't shooting the ball well. He never panicked when he was missing layups. Um, he kept saying, okay, we got to play defense. we got to rebound. we got to find the, the guy who is making shots. And I think in this situation with this young TCU team, that's going to go a lot farther than Des deciding to you know to play hero ball down the stretch and, and try to will TCU to win on his back when he didn't need to. I agree with 98% of that. I'm not sure that he was deferring to Nembhard. I think Dixon was drawing it up for RJ because okay. the way that I heard Dixon in the post game was him saying, cause you know, I asked the question, it looked like RJ was kind of, the ball was moving through him the last few minutes of the game. Was that intentional? And do we, will we see that more? And, you know, in hearing what he said back, it, it sounded to me like that's, that was Dixon's intent because RJ had made a couple of big plays earlier in the game and they put the ball in his hands with specific instructions, but they said, you know, we gave him the ball and we told him what to do. And, you know, he had a couple of really good plays. He had the play at the rim. He had the pass to Farabello. Um, it sounded in that answer, like that was the design was for the ball to run through RJ and yeah, not Dez. And, and you're, you are right because the, the play that they were, that they were running last night at the top, they were setting, um, RJ was picking the ball up the at the point screen. guard. They were setting yeah. a high screen. Yeah. Um, and then they were giving him a roll, drive, or shoot option. And, and God, RJ down the stretch made pretty much the right decision. They still had Dez out in the corner sure. um, as a kick option if, if they needed to, which, again, why would you not? I don't care if Dez has missed his first 20 shots. If, if we need a three-pointer to win it, he's probably the guy I want taking the shot. You oh, know? 100%. Um, but, yeah, no, they, they, were, they were putting the ball specifically in his hands to, to not just um, to score but to facilitate the offense. Um, which, again, shows his maturity and his growth as a player, too. So, no, I, I completely agree. I think you're dead on on that. And can we talk for a minute about how Kevin Samuel had 19 points on the night and none of them came in the last 15 minutes of the basketball game? Yeah, that's a, it, it was kind of like the TCU Tech uh, version there. Uh, of why are, you, why are you going away from what's working? <laughs> yeah, I mean, the guy had like 900 dunks through the first, whatever, 25 minutes of the game. And then they just completely went away from him for the last few minutes. Yeah. And that coincided with a 10-minute stretch in the second half where TCU scored six points and yeah, lost their double-digit huh? lead. 
and was just kind of clinging to life barely before RJ and Farabella rescued them with nine points down the stretch to really kind of pull back away and, and seal the victory. But I just I will never understand why people go away from what works. If Kevin Samuel yeah, I, had kept at that current clip, he might have had forty points on Monday night yeah. against Air Force. Well, and I think that to me is is a sign of a young team too. And you saw, you know, uh, Edric Dennis and Jared Greer, and, and I'm a huge I'm, I am leading the Dryer fan club along with several other people. I think, but um, that where those guys come in and they're more score first guards. And so as you do some of your rotations, and and that's kind of who was playing during that stretch, is they're less likely to look for the guy as, as first year players with TCU. Um, they don't have the chemistry. They probably just don't understand his game quite as well yet. Mm-hmm. Um, more likely to look to, to attack themselves. And that's going to come with time and experience of just playing together and playing in that system. But, yeah, you're right. Uh, there, Especially when you're playing a team like that, there is no reason for Kevin Samuel not to touch the ball at least once in somewhere in the painted area on 70% of your possessions, period. Yeah. I mean, I think he only had like two more shots, three more shots. Yeah. Yeah, which is insane. Um, That's – I mean, you got to get the, you got to get the big man the ball, especially in a situation yes. where he was the biggest guy on the court by like five inches. Yes, yes. by right. a significant margin. Mm-hmm. That's going to be, I think, the biggest thing moving forward for TCU is that they are going to be pretty undersized when they enter Big Twelve play, and so rebounding is going to be an issue. Post presence is going to be an issue, yeah. even on the offensive side of things. Uh, if Samuel's in foul trouble, this team will be in major trouble with um, Russell Barlow and Jaden Ledee being the two kind of backup fives. Um, Ledee has great hustle, but he's still he's only 6'9". And yeah. I just haven't seen anything from Barlow, which is a bummer because he's such a highly rated recruit. Hopefully he gets things figured out. Um, yeah, if he has an he RJ still just looks, He still yeah. just looks like he's maybe a little hesitant out there. Yeah. Well, and I think they'll be okay. I mean, if you look at not a lot of Big 12 teams are, are playing these super huge lineups anymore. I mean, Kansas has a big guy um, who, who's really good, but you're not going to see a whole lot of six foot 11, six foot 10 guys running out there, I think, in this conference this year. I think Jaden Ledee, if, if he gets shakes off the rust and, and kind of comes around to at 6'9", with his athleticism, can can bother enough people defensively in the postseason. He's an elite, elite rebounder. Um, that's kind of his skill set. That's what he's known for. And so um i think they'll be okay but yeah like you said there's there's only going to be so much of kevin samuel not being on the floor that this team can manage uh to to stomach in big 12 play absolutely i mean i think that this tcu team is set up for more success than everyone's anticipating considering that they were picked to be dead last in the conference by almost everyone yeah they won't finish last i don't see any way they finish last barring something um just like injury wise or something like that yeah Absolutely. All right, let's shift back to football, though, for a minute. Before we get into our predictions, which are coming up in just a few minutes, I want to get your thoughts, Melissa, on the latest college football rankings to come out. I'm going to read you the top 15, and you just kind of give me some off-the-cuff thoughts, okay? Okay. Number one, no, we'll start from 15. 15 is Auburn. 14 is Baylor. 13 is Michigan. 12 is Wisconsin. Okay, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. All right. Yeah. Michigan? Michigan and Wisconsin. What? And then 11 is Florida, which means that Baylor, after their one loss to uh, a University of Oklahoma team, is 9-1 and one, sitting behind three teams with two losses. Baylor being behind Michigan is utter and a total joke. Um, Michigan is quickly becoming the new Texas is back. Like, that is the most overrated, overvalued team. I know they've been playing better. 
the last couple of games, but that also coincides with they've been playing really crappy opponents. Um, they reward time and time again, they reward conferences and teams and blue bloods for quality losses against crappy teams while hurting the smaller, less t-shirt selling schools, as Patterson said, uh, by punishing them for good losses against good teams. I, I just, this is why I have zero interest in following the college football playoff rankings unless TCU is involved. It's such a sham. I think it is dirtier and more secretive and more rigged now than it was in the BCS era, and it's not even close. You should know um, that two weeks ago, after two consecutive losses to Illinois and Ohio State, Wisconsin was sitting all the way down at 13 in the rankings. One Where spot, Baylor started. One spot behind Baylor at 12. Yeah. Um, so that's interesting uh, to note that a loss to Illinois and then just getting absolutely drilled by Ohio State didn't even bump Wisconsin out of the top 15. So we were at yeah. 12 with Wisconsin. Florida is at 9-2. and two. They're at 11th. Minnesota is 10th at 9-1. and one. Then you have the highest-ranked Big 12 team at 9, Oklahoma at 9-1. and one. Penn State is 8 at 9-1. and one. Utah is 7 at 9-1. and one. Oregon is 6 at 9-1. and one. Alabama is 5 at 9-1. and one. Georgia is 4th at 9-1. and one. Clemson is 3rd at 11-0. Ohio State is 2nd at 10-0. And, oh, and LSU maintains the top spot at 10-0. I mean, it's hard to argue against LSU or Ohio State as 1-2. I don't think it matters what order they're in. All they're going to do is set that up. So one of them will be 1, one of them will be 2, and they'll make sure that LSU and Alabama or Georgia don't play in the first round of the playoffs. So I think that's they're just setting that up right now. Um, I, I have very much come around to the fact that I don't like the college football playoff. Yeah. I just I, – I just, I, as currently constructed – um, again, unless your team is in the mix, which now, right now, if you're not a blue blood, uh, you're not in the mix. Like Baylor's not making it. I don't care if they went, they beat Texas by 450 points, and then they beat Oklahoma in the Big 12 championship. They're not getting in. They they are clearly setting this up for a second SEC team um, to to get in there or to you know bump in maybe maybe Oregon because they're kind of sexy right now with Justin Herbert and and Nike. Um, sure. I, I just it's it's taken so much of the shine off of the regular season, and uh, it's it's just made things a lot less interesting for uh, for fans. Like it, you lose one game, unless you're Michigan or Ohio State or LSU or Alabama, and it's you're kind of out of it. And that's that's not what college football is supposed to be about. Uh, I agree. Here's the thing. Five teams ahead of Oklahoma. I'm going to give you two kind of thoughts here. Five teams ahead of Oklahoma have one or zero wins against current top 25 teams. Oregon has one. That's against number 23, USC. Clemson, Alabama, Utah, and Penn State have zero. Um, wait, no, not Penn State. Pardon me. Clemson, Alabama, and Utah have zero. Oregon has one. Penn State has two. Georgia has two. Ohio State has two. LSU has three. So that's one thing just to consider. Ranked teams, winning against ranked teams hasn't helped. Oklahoma, who have a win over number 14 Baylor and number 22 Iowa State, 
They also have number 21 Oklahoma State left on the schedule, and they're probably going to match up with the top 15 Baylor team in the Big 12 championship. So Oklahoma's not in terrible okay. in a terrible spot because of that. But also, LSU and Georgia are going to play each other in the SEC championship, most likely, barring any craziness down the stretch. Oregon and Utah are probably going to play each other in the Pac-12 championship, barring anything crazy down the stretch. Ohio State and Penn State play on Saturday. So some of this stuff is going to sort itself out in the end. And I think oh, Oklahoma I will Oklahoma will be much closer to the top four in two weeks than they are right now, is my prediction. Uh, I, I think that, that all of this does, though, is set things up because they twist and contort things to fit their narrative. Yeah. Um, if, if they want to talk about ranked teams, sometimes they use they were ranked in week one as a metric sometimes they use they were playoff ranked at this level in week 10 or i mean it's just mm-hmm. it, it's so twisted and skewed and this is this is what's going to happen i'm gonna tell you what's going to happen right now um uh lsu is going to beat georgia in the sec championship game which is going to effectively eliminate georgia as a two-loss team uh but remember alabama if they look good without tua is going to be a one-loss team that doesn't have to play a conference championship game we've already seen them get in in that scenario before that so was we well, that was that was in the bcs era is when alabama managed that ohio state though no 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 they, no no, they got, no it no. was the bcs still but ohio state in 2014 is the team that didn't win a conference championship they had a backup quarterback their third string quarterback in fact and uh they got in isn't that right um they did but i i know there was a year the year that georgia and alabama both got in georgia beat Al- or i thought that uh, the year that alabama lost to auburn so Auburn lost to Georgia, and they both got in. I thought that happened in the playoff era. Oh, I'm relatively it? certain. I, I think I'm BCS relatively still. certain that that. No, there there was one year. I'm trying to look it up here to, to make sure I have my okay. facts straight. But there was one year where Alabama got in, and they didn't have to play in the conference championship game. And I will tell you, it was it was a year where there were two SEC teams. Yeah, it was it was 2017-2018. Okay. That Alabama played Clemson, and Georgia played Oklahoma. That year, Georgia had won the SEC, and Alabama had lost to Auburn. Um, and so they didn't even play in the SEC championship game, and they still got in. And it was uh, the Pac-12 and the Big Ten got left out that year. You're right. That's and it wasn't, it, was. it wasn't 2014 Ohio State either, but wait, where was it? Hang on a second. Ohio Maybe State I'm... got in in, 20, it, in 2014. They did get in with their third string. It was Cardell Jones. That but, was they the won the, that but they, they won got their, really hot. But they were 12-1. and one, They won their – No, they team. were – yeah, they they did because that was the year they beat yeah. Uh, the, the, the okay. yeah. We won't talk I was about working that off idea. of bad information. Twenty fourteen, so many times, um, but yeah. So I, I just I think that and I and I know you we gotta we gotta close this out pretty quickly, but um, you're gonna see. Oh LSU no no no! Hang on. 26, 2016, Ohio State was the third seed, and they did not win the Big Tw- Big Ten that year. That's right. You're right. So they've done it. So they've they've set that precedent twice. Penn State won the Big Ten that year. Yeah. You were right, and Penn State didn't get in. They chose no, Ohio they were State five. over them. They were five. Yeah. yeah, that's right. That's that's that's. I'm telling you, that's Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. They're setting that up for Oklahoma this year. It's it's gonna happen, um, and they're gonna either it's gonna either be Alabama, um, if if the Pac-12 if someone else in the Pac-12 loses between now and the Pac-12 championship game, um, so then they'll put Alabama in. If if Oregon is the winner, uh, Oregon will get in. If Utah is the winner, I I think it's like fifty fifty at this point because I don't know if they think that they're sexy enough. Yeah. Um, but I I would I would put my life savings of $12 on the line 
that no Big 12 team gets in the playoffs this year. Shout out, shout out to your double-digit bank account, by the way. Right. And it's all, you know what? Uh, that interest is accruing slowly but surely. Well, let's um, let's move on from this because it's kind of uh, you know, yeah. there's so there's so much time left for all of this to at least potentially provide us more clarity. So sure, absolutely. Um, let's get to some picks. By the way, I tallied up all of our picks from previous podcasts. You are currently at twenty nine and twenty for your picks. Ooh, I'm good. Well, I am twenty seven and twenty two. So uh, I could I could turn that twelve dollars into fifty really so much quickly dollars. if I wanted. So many dollars. Um, also, I believe that means we would be first and second on any um, major sports news site uh, picking against their experts because wow. it always seems like the ESPN and the CBS Sports and everybody else is just like hovering around five hundred. And here you, you, you know are. You know what this is setting up. Over. What? God, I'm good. This is setting up next year a a uh, TCU blog network pick picking competition. That's what we got to yes. do. We got to make this happen just across all of the uh, the major podcasts and just to see see the winning picks. We got to make this make this a reality. Absolutely, we'll have to coordinate that for sure. Um, all right, so let's get into the picks though. West Virginia hosts number twenty two Oklahoma State this weekend. West Virginia coming off of two straight wins no sorry a, a big win over kansas state um last saturday who do you have in this one uh i think oklahoma state they're playing with a lot on the line um this could be such a trap game with uh the rivalry game going the week afterwards but there's still a i think maybe an outside chance of oklahoma state getting into the big 12 playoff game i don't think it's going to happen but um i i, I expect the the pokes are playing really well and i expect that to continue yeah, I think Oklahoma State wins this game um, for all the same reasons. Anyways, Iowa State hosts Kansas. Iowa State is now ranked. They are number 20. Sorry, Oklahoma State is number 21. Sorry, these are old rankings. Iowa State is number 22. And they're hosting Kansas. Who do you Roll. have in that game? Roll. There'll be a little bit of a hangover because of the Texas win, but, but by the end of this thing, it won't be close. And then... Um, speaking of Texas, they are no longer ranked. They jumped back into the rankings for one week, all the way up to 19. Um, and now they are unranked after a loss to Iowa State. They travel to Waco for the 230 game against number 14 Baylor. God, this is a really, really interesting game. Um, man, I don't think Texas is very good. I don't know how Baylor is going to respond. Um, I would not be at all surprised to see Texas win this game, but I'm going to give the benef- the Bears the benefit of the doubt and say that that they get it they get it done. Yeah, I'm going with Baylor as well. I, Texas is in Oklahoma, and it took no. everything Oklahoma had to get out of there with a win last weekend. I think Baylor rolls in this one. I don't know what the spread is. Hey, here, but here's I would probably if it's like ten or less, I would take Baylor to cover. Here's a fun stat: um, since the last decade of uh college football how many years do you think that texas has lost at least four games i saw this stat so i know the answer but i'm gonna let you say it i mean it's 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 all of them yep it it is all of them every year since 2010 
<clears throat> Texas has lost at least four games. Starting in 2010, five and seven, eight and five, nine and four, eight and five, six and seven, five and seven, five and seven, seven and six, ten and four, six and four this year. Their best case scenario is eight and four plus a bowl. So I guess when Sam Ellinger said Texas was back, he was right. Yes. Because that 10 and four year was clearly an aberration and they are back to what they've been for the last decade. Just they an insane are. thing to be the University of Texas. And ha- they had not lost. The last time that they had lost at least four games in a season was 1999. That's wild. And they had done it twice since 1996 prior to 2010. Just insane. Do you know how many other Power 5 Texas schools have also lost at least four games in a row every year during that same stretch? None. Ooh. Counting this season, yeah, I was going to say it's probably none. None. Wow, that's insane. Every other, every other Power 5 Texas team has had at least one season where they lost three or fewer games over that same time stretch, including God, Texas A&M ins- and Texas Tech. Wow, even Texas Tech, wow. Man, that's it. Tom Tom's seat's got to be getting hot. And with oh, Urban Meyer hot. floating out there, whew, I would not want to be a Texas fan, especially a Texas fan that doesn't like the message boards right now. Mm-hmm. It's, I mean, what can you do? Oh, hang on a second. I think I might have been wrong. Texas Tech has sucked. Okay, good. I, so. We can always count on that. They're they are another one. Well, now I'm going to have to go back and check. <coughs> Let me check Texas A&M. But I think I think with A&M Manziel, has pretty steadily been eight and four, and then they did they had a twelve win season with Manzel. Yeah. So Manzel, yeah, eleven and two in 2012. Other than that, they've had at least four losses every year, going back to 1998. See, they're even rivals in that. Look at that. Obviously, we know <laughs> Baylor and TCU have both succeeded in that multiple seasons um, over that time span. And am I forgetting one? I think that's all of them. So, wow. how about that? How Texas. funny would it be for Baylor to lose to Oklahoma and Texas in back-to-back weeks after starting out 9-0? Wow. What it would just make world. me more disappointed that TCU didn't pull off that win. Right. I know. I know. Oh, but. well. It is what it is. All right, last game of the Big 12 slate, Texas Tech hosts Kansas State. Who wins that one? I think I think the Cats bounce back. I have no idea what happened against West Virginia, but I think they bounce back and get the win on the road. And I think Tech is pretty much done. I mean, they're not going to get to a bowl game at this point, so we'll be interested to see if Matt Wells can keep them together. Yeah, it'll be interesting. I'm not – I'm not sold on Matt Wells as a head coach yet, but I, it's been half a season or just three quarters of a season, so it's not time to pull the plug. Um, yeah, I agree. That, you know, I think it's ridiculous, all of the Tech fans that are calling for Kirby Hocutt's resignation because of this. Yeah. Like, have you, did you Chris, notice Chris what Beard? he did for your baseball <laughs> and basketball team? Tim Tadlock. Yeah. Yeah. Let's, let's is, maybe relax. Leave Kirby a alone. Bit. Yeah. Um, and then let's go. There are a couple other big games. As I mentioned earlier, Ohio State hosts Penn State in a top 10 matchup uh, that could help provide clarity or a ton more confusion to the college football playoff rankings. Who do you have winning that game? Ohio State big. Double yeah. digits. I don't think Penn State's very good. They lost to Minnesota. But I don't think anybody's good. Yeah. And Minnesota just lost yeah. to Iowa. Yeah. Maybe the Big Ten's not very good. 
Big Ten is not very good. I don't think the Big 12 is very good either, just for the record. But I do not think the Big Ten is very good. I don't think there's an elite conference this year outside of the very top of the big, of the SEC. I don't – I mean, outside of LSU, Georgia, and Bama, who who else is there in the SEC, though? Yeah, I don't I don't know if Auburn is good yet. I mean, yet. Florida's, I uh, Florida's ranked 10th. Eh, Florida's, whatever. They're, they're fine. They're fine. They're okay. Auburn's ranked 16th. Whatever. They're not that great. Yeah. They're 7-3. Yeah, they shouldn't ranked, be ranked 16th. Good, yeah. yeah. It's Anywho. just a bad – it's a weird year in college football. It really is. Yeah. Speaking of Georgia, they, they host Texas A&M. Is God, this I a, hope this is ugly. It, I will be cheering for Texas A&M this week. You can hear me say that. Why? Because I want the SEC to come crashing down around itself. And the only way that happens is if Georgia loses and then wins the SEC. Yeah. Georgia loses just, this game. I... Or if they lose next week against Georgia Tech, which isn't going to happen. Because Georgia Tech's very, very bad. But if they lose against Texas A&M and then they somehow come away and pull pull off a massive upset of LSU in the SEC championship game, does their two losses impact LSU enough to keep no them out? LSU's still in. I no, don't think I there's think, anything that LSU can do right now. I think if that scenario happens where Georgia loses another game between now and the SEC championship and then they beat LSU, Alabama's the team that gets in and not LSU. I could see that happening, but I, I still think a one, a one loss LSU that beat Bama gets in, even if they lose to Georgia, unless it's a blowout. Yeah. And then the last other big I, game, I also which, don't oh, want Texas A&M. I don't want Texas A&M to be the agents of chaos. They don't deserve that. Plus, it'll just – the hype train for them in 2020 is going to be ridiculous, and I just don't want to live that life. Well, but anyways, another podcast. You know the hype train will end as soon as October hits. So I mean, it's True. not like True. It's not like we'll have it. But for only because they play big ball football, big big boy football in the SEC. Big ball football. They do play big ball yeah. football. <laughs> that too. That too. <laughs> uh, and then the last, I guess, in quotations, big game of the week is number twenty-three Navy hosting SMU. Nine and one Memphis is eighteen. Seven and two Navy is twenty-three. Nine and one Cincinnati is seventeen. Nine and one SMU is unranked. Do you think that's fair? No. No, they dropped SMU. Went from darling to nothing overnight. It's just ridiculous. SMU is still one of the. By by judging the teams that I've watched, SMU is still one of the top twenty-five teams in the country, or at least deserves to be ranked as one at this moment. Yeah, I agree. Um, and and I think they'll prove it top, Saturday. They should be a top twenty-five team in the rankings. It, they should be ranked over – let me look who's down here. Oh, no, they are 25. My apologies to Southern Methodist University. I was working off of old. Okay. Yeah, and I'm so okay with on. that. I'm okay with them Where at 25. Navy? Oh, Navy's not ranked anymore. So my rankings are totally wrong on the run sheet. Ignore everything that we've just talked about. But 7-4 and four USC – 7-4 USC is 23rd. Yeah, and they, they don't have as many they, – they have fewer quality wins than SMU, I think, based on this year's quality of the Pac-12. Who have they beaten? Exactly. Who what, name a ranked team that they've beaten? Did they beat Utah? Yeah. Okay. No. So that's <coughs> that's what's propping them up. Yeah. Okay. Whatever. All right. Lastly, Texas Christian University, Oklahoma Sooners, 
7 bad Christian university. Yeah. 7 p.m. Fox Saturday night. Norman lights. A lot of a lot of crimson and cream. Who wins? I really, really want to say that TCU defense can keep Oklahoma to 31-ish points. Uh, I just don't know if they can. Um, I'm going to pick the Sooners. I'm going to say 38 to 29. I'm going to go with a weird score. But I think the Frogs are going to have a chance late. Something fortuitous is going to bounce Oklahoma's way. They'll get a quick touchdown. And the frogs will drive for like a field goal or something in the final moments just to piss us all off. Yeah, probably. Give me TCU um, to lose. I framed that poorly. <laughs> you, uh, yeah, you did. Give some hope. <laughs> Oklahoma forty-two, TCU thirty-one. And hey, I think a, I think a, I think a touchdown late makes it feel closer than it was. Yeah, hey, good teams cover. Uh, good teams lose. Good, good teams, teams win. Lose. Great teams cover. Something. Good teams win. Great teams cover. So we're a great team if we cover. Yes. Something like what? that. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, this will just about do it, though. <laughs> Sorry, I'm DMing with the Crimson and Cream guys because I'm like seven minutes late to hop on their podcast now. So um, this will do it for the Frogs War podcast. You can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Check out all of the stuff on frogswar.com. And please make sure you subscribe, rate, review the Frogs War podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, Stitcher, everywhere else that podcasts are found. Melissa and I are both so thankful that you take your time every week to download and listen to this, to comment on frogswar.com, to interact on Facebook and Twitter, and with us in real life when you see us. Um, We are just TCU fans, just like you, wanting to start and have good conversations about TCU athletics, which we love. Uh, just like you so thanks for all that you do for us and that'll just about do it go frogs go frogs